Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. Joining me today is Derek Bros to go over his ongoing investigation of some really disconcerting and upsetting information. It's tying to an, an ongoing investigation around what the Utah Sheriff's Department, the Sheriff's Office, framed as ritualistic child sex abuse, or some variation of those words. And it's it's a really upsetting story for those that have followed this kind of work in the past. Stemming all the way back for quite a long time, in fact, T-Lab has been on this discussion for a long time in regard to the general topic of these kind of cover-ups, but specifically this kind of abuse happening in Hollywood, high levels of power in, in the government, things like Dennis Hassard, th- uh, second in line to the president at the time when the, the judge called him a serial child molester. And these kind of topics just get kicked down, kicked to the side as conspiracy theory, as many of us have become very comfortable with seeing the illusion there around COVID-19 and plenty of others. So Derek's joining us today to go over what is now, I believe he has five parts we've published so far in regard to this investigation. And we're kind of just going to talk through this investigation and what he's seen and some really interesting things that have happened since this has started and, and why you should care about this and why it stems to a lot of other topics than just Utah, just the Mormon church, which we're going to talk about as well. And, and, and really just kind of, I want to personally focus on toward the end, the foreign policy aspect of this, the idea of how this continues to happen in war zones and other places. And if it can happen in situations like the, I guess, non-war setting in a Utah situation where things are happening constantly or in war situations over abroad, we should realize this is kind of a ubiquitous problem. That's the real concern for me. So Derek, thank you for joining me today. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, brother. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, you know, thanks for uh, providing an outlet where someone like myself can write about and, you know, spend five articles, five weeks focused on this topic. Yeah, well, thank you for saying that, man. I mean, it's a, it's a point of pride for me that we have that kind of investigative journalism that, you know, I'm honored to work with you, Derek, to put it that way. You know, you do some outstanding work and it's it it's great to see that kind of dedication to something like this, because this is not an, a fun topic, right? This is not something that it's enjoyable to research, but it's so incredibly important that people see what's really going on. And that's exactly why so many people in corporate media or even independent kind of shy away from these things because it's it's uncomfortable, but it's so important. So thank you. Yeah. And I'll just add to that before we get into this, that, you know, even just as I was going into this, I, I only allowed myself maybe one to two days a week to really do research on this. Um, not obviously because it's not important. I mean, I spent five weeks focused on this and, and there were definitely in the beginning I was spending every day. But as you said, these topics are so heavy, man. And anybody who's even anybody who's read my articles, I'm sure if you haven't actually downloaded the documents, which we provided or gone further, even just reading the sort of overview version that I put in the article, some of the things are, you know, if they are to be believed and if they, you know, ever prove to be um, factual, it's, uh, it's disturbing things that are not easy to kind of consume on a regular basis. So yeah, I mean, after being in this for five weeks, and then as you said, you've covered this for years, I've covered this previously with the Jeffrey Epstein saga with the finders cult, um, the Franklin's, you know, other stories that it's like, oh, here we go again. I'm diving back down this familiar rabbit hole that I don't like, but I know is important. And that's the crazy part about this is this, and we really need to stand back and recognize this is like, if, if any of these topics have shown us this, the Epstein discussion has made you made the average person realize this is not some single one up bad apple scenario. This is an interconnected problem that very clearly ties across state lines, across country, border, you know, international borders. And the Epstein discussion, which they said was fake news, fake news, ridiculous, you're crazy, right up until we proved it and they were forced to acknowledge that. You know, it's it's a very ongoing problem. Even the Epstein or even Maxwell, for example, to kind of quickly point this out. 
That's something that everybody picked up on, even the people that were new to the story. It's like, well, wait a minute. How can you charge her with these crimes and yet not point out any one of the people she supposedly did the crime with? How, so you have to know she did them, which therefore means there's somebody on the other side of that deal. And nobody talks about that. That's a cover up. There's no way around that, you know. And this is the the investigation of uh, this investigation in Utah. Your your work has shown, and you're right to say that if these are proven, and if this, you know, go if if it continues in that direction, and we can prove they did do this, which is the right way to frame that. The evidence, in my opinion, is undeniable that there's something. There are people that are saying things that are proven to be false, right? That's already been shown. Hamlin, for example, saying this isn't happening. And then it turns out that he lied. So that's important to see. Why would you lie if there's not something else going on there? There's other answers to that. But even thus far in the investigation, it's pretty clear that there's something awry, you know, that illegal happening behind the scenes. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think. And his, uh, actually, the man you were referring to is David Levitt, the county attorney. David Hamlin's the other man. But yeah, we've... Oh, we've, oh thank, thank we've, you for clarifying that. I'll, I'll show that in a second. Go ahead. Yeah, we've been able to document that. We'll get into that. That's in my, I think, the second or third article. Uh, the only other thing I'll say before we actually get into this Utah case is that, as you pointed out, we talked now, we've mentioned the name Epstein. Uh, we could talk about Hollywood. Kevin Spacey's on trial right now in the UK. Right. Um, you know, you can get into... UFC fighters. You can get into not just the Mormon church, but the, recently there was a big investigation about the Southern Baptist church. We obviously, we know the Catholic church. We know accusations of the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, school teachers, school cops. You know, to me, this is a much more societal problem than people want to accept. And I think it really comes down to, you know, people often ask, for example, in the case of this situation in Utah, which does involve some people involved in the Mormon church, um, you know, why are, why do these things happen in churches? And some people maybe like, have the opinion that it's the religions and, 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 you know, themselves that kind of breed this mentality. I don't know that that's completely accurate because as I just pointed out, you can find this in all different areas of life. And what I mean by this is abuse of children, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse. Um, there are, you know, some good, some good research out there really talking about the fact that children are one of the least protected minority populations in the world and they have the least rights. You know, they think people think they can jab them if they want. They can hit them if they want. They can do whatever they want. You know, children don't have rights. Your parents own them, these sort of things. And often, whether, you know, consciously or unconsciously, for better or worse, um, I think in these cases worse, people make the mistake of trusting their children over to other people, you know, and, and that could include like leaving them with the, the teacher, leaving them with the daycare. And that's not to say every institution like that obviously is involved in child abuse. But when you look at these cases, it often involves that authority relationship with the child, somebody in a position right. of authority, a pastor, a priest, politician, police officer, teacher, principal, you know, that's where I think people like this who have, you know, who are pedophiles or who are child abusers, perhaps they seek out those positions on purpose. That's exactly what I was going to say. I, I think, you know, my, my opinion would be based on the evidence over the years and the research that I've done personally. It seems to be very clear that people work. I mean, it's not to say that there's not just situations where people are bad people, disgusting human beings that capitalize in certain situations. But I believe it's the same thing, whether you're talking about police or, or, you know, that pull over women and rape them in their car, which we've seen plenty of examples of, or people in politics that abuse that, or people that work their way into, um, uh, child uh, care services, you know, that kind of protective services. The point is that people see this, that they can have an authority position that almost gives them a cloak that almost makes it, it's, you know, to, uh, today we see that if you accuse a politician, it's almost, it's impossibly difficult for people to, it's conspiracy theory. That's the argument that they give. People shout it down. They recognize that. 
So people seek those things out. And I believe that there's an effort to cover these things up from that level. Now, is it not possible that your neighbor could be just as, of course that's possible. But historically speaking, that's the argument, not the facts. The facts are clearly built up that it's an authority problem. It's a, a high level People abuse that situation. And the other example that I would point out is someone like Nassar in the Olympics. You know, he saw a position where you could find a comfortable, you know, working your way into their inner circles of of young girls and that you would be have an excuse to touch them. And and this was a a person that was a um, what's the word for it? A physical therapist for young girls. If you didn't see that story. I mean, he's a, a, a serial abuser. In any case, we can go off on a lot of different directions there. One thing I wanted to start with in regard to this whole topic in in regard to Utah is there's a lot of people talking about this. I I, I recently saw this in some of the comments in the article, which, which I understand don't agree with, but a lot of people arguing, they feel this is sort of a a limited hangout saying, Oh, they're dumping the story over here saying, look at what's happening in Utah while there's a larger discussion happening. And that of course tends to be more rooted in partisan politics. Like why aren't you talking about Biden, for example, it's like, well, there's, you know, there's different parts of these stories. These things matter too. What are your thoughts on that in general? Um, well, first off, I think that it's always, you know, there's always going to be a story that somebody will say is distracting from another story, right? I mean, there's a million things happening at once. And sometimes I've taken that, you know, kind of that critique and and where it feels like, hey, guys, we're talking about Will Smith. But what about the World Government Summit? We did an article about that, right? Those sort of things that to me and, you know, the World Government Summit is just one example. You could point to 10 other things and say, here's 10 more important things than Will Smith slapping somebody, right? Right. Those kind of things I, I tend to agree with. But also it is you know, reality as well, that many things that are important happen at the same time. And just because one thing is happening at the same time as another doesn't necessarily mean it's meant to distract from the other thing. I would hope that our viewers and readers and listeners, you know, are, you know, have critical thinking enough to hold two things in their mind at one time and can, can think about Biden and his corruption and, you know, whatever's going on over there, as well as like, Hey, maybe I should pay attention to this Utah situation. And if it was a situation that was put out there, a limited hangout or just some sort of distraction, I think it would be getting more traction. But up to this point, other than us, Nathan Stoltman at Lift the Veil, uh, Jenny Hatch, who I mentioned, like a couple of other really small kind of independent people, and then maybe some other people aggregating the work we've been doing on it. I, the only other person people I've seen reporting on it besides local news has been the uh, Epoch News. like, And that took them like a week or two ago. So they waited like more than a month and a half. So I haven't seen this on CNN. I haven't seen, you know, the only articles I've seen in the mainstream have sort of been like, Ha ha ha. He he. Look what's happening in Utah. Those silly, you know, backwoods people with their, you know, accusations of Satan, like just kind of dismissing it as like, well, this this Utah election took a weird turn or whatever. But not anybody taking the claim seriously, digging into it, except for Adam uh, Herbert of the local news, the local Fox station. They've been doing pretty amazing work. And, he, you know, so I don't know if that's if it's enough to. Just dismiss the situation and hopefully anybody who's read my articles or who's going to listen to this interview will come away, you know, with the the feeling that I have after spending the last five, six weeks in this topic that it's definitely well worth our time and attention. And I'm kind of at a place where, like, I've put it down for a moment, but I'm still talking to sources and digging and I'm still getting emails from people. I want to say thank you to everybody who's been emailing me because of these articles, because we've got uh, this is this prop. This story has probably generated more leads for me than any story I've done in a couple of years, uh, at least since probably the finders. Because, you know, this topic, as you know, it really it hits something deep in people. Like not only I think there's there's two elements, right? There's people who are like it hits their hearts deep. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening to the children, which I think is a you know a rightful position to take. But also there are people who and I, this is something I take issue with. 
who get caught in the dramatic, salacious details of it all. Like, oh, the Clintons, the, uh, where's the uh, Prince Andrew? And, the, you know, we're only, it seems like some people only care if the story involves a celebrity, a politician, or some famous name, right? If it's like, oh, here's just your run-of-the-mill child abuse, which I think is just as important, if not more important, um, people seem to kind of don't pay any attention to it. And if there's anything that's a distraction, maybe it's the focus on only celebrities and politicians that could be a distraction from the fact that this thing happens every day to normal people all the time that aren't famous, that no, we don't know about, right? And just because they're not famous and it's not like, you know, some gossipy sort of story doesn't mean that we don't, you know, we shouldn't be paying attention to it. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I could go off on a tangent on that, but I think it's just important for us to to really understand that like these cases matter. They are happening. It, you know, if you think it's a distraction, I hope that uh, you will, you know, stay listening and, and see where we're going with this. Absolutely. Well, I, as I always point out, it's always a valid question to ask. Always. It doesn't mean th- that you should therefore then dismiss the first part of it. Even if it is a distraction, it still doesn't mean that story is false. You know, it's, it's always an important thing to ask, but we need to be clear that this is something that is rooted in very clear investigative a lot of evidence, but I, I want to I want to make a point about the content of a lot of people reaching out. But I wanted to make one last point about the church before we jump into that first article to, that I forgot to say before that it's it, that's a it's an interesting point to make that this always seems rooted in especially in the partisan discussion in a you know the satanic church kind of our argument which is valid. I mean, even people in this investigation are saying there's ritualistic aspects to this which are can include satanic but also can't. But the idea that it's all, always the church. Kind of, or like the church ideas that that's it's the entire church is the problem. It's the same point we made before. I argue that that it's definitely very prevalent. We need to understand that, especially the Catholic Church, which is still barely acknowledged, despite how much has continued to come out over the last decade and a half or more. I mean, they've made movies about it for crying out loud. There's been an ongoing and still cover up of what happens in the Catholic Church, but that does not mean that your local church is absolutely part of the problem. You know what I mean? Like, it's important to differentiate those things. I just want to make sure that's clear because there are good people and bad people in most situations, right? But it, it turns out that it's absolutely. a system, which I, I agree that there's a part of it, then we'll make sure and point that out. And I did include that, I think, probably in, if not every article, at least a few right. of them to make sure that mentioned, because inevitably, if we don't include that, somebody will, t- you know, like, hey, but I'm in the church and I don't do these yeah. things. Like, I get it. We're not trying to cast like generalizations right. at whole populations. Um, yeah. And then it, to your point as well, man, I think I just saw this story two days ago. Uh, FBI opens up probe for New Orleans clergy, the Catholic Church. So, like, right. they're still yeah. investigating this this stuff. Like, it's still going on. Yeah, exactly. And I just want to maybe just put this shout out more time for the people reaching out. It's amazing to hear that Derek's been getting just an incredible every people reaching out from all walks of life all over the country saying, hey, I I, I heard this or I'm part of that. Or, you know, somebody took it, it from this story. Like, think about how powerful that is. The people that thought nobody was listening to them, nobody heard their story, nobody cared, they were abused, are now finding, you know, a sliver of hope in the fact that people are actually asking about what happened to them. You know, that that's what this is all about, because they're everywhere, guys. And this is not just one tiny story. So let's absolutely. Think- Yeah, I'll just say that, like, I didn't, to that point, I definitely didn't include everything that I have in these five articles. There's still more information. There's other things that I think are probably factual. But, you know, what we try to do at T-Lab and what I just try to do with all of my work in general is I don't want to just put it out there because we can speculate on it. We make it clear, for example, when we go through some of the documents, like, hey, these documents have been released to the public. We know they're related to the ongoing case, but nobody in here has been proven guilty of anything, right? So right, don't right, sue right. us. We're not saying that, that sort of thing, but also just being honest about it. And so while I do have more information and I've had 
plenty of other stories and things that people have shared with me, including stories of, of abuse that took place in Utah in and around these times involving certain people that are high profile. There are people who are either not ready to speak publicly and just sort of told me, you know, for background information. Um, and then there are others who I, I need to verify more before maybe we report on it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's good. I hope that gives people hope out there. If you got any information, reach out to, to Derek specifically or any of us and we'll, we'll make sure this is this will continue. And and as, as the title from today points out, this is an ongoing investigation. This is not some small hypothetical leaked thing. That's only, you know, th- this is, this involves a lot of stuff, multiple states, FBI, right? And this is a really important discussion and it's specifically in Utah, multiple counties, as you can see there. So this was the first, first article Derek put out, Utah County Sheriff's Office sets off debate with investigation into what he quoted as ritualistic child sex abuse. So this starts with, a, a press conference, if I remember correctly, right, where the, the sheriff's office spoke out and said, this is happening. So if you want to yep. take it from there and let us know what, what caught your attention. Yeah. So, I mean, this goes back to May 31st. The sheriff's Utah County Sheriff's Office, led by Sheriff Mike Smith, put out a press release on their website, Twitter, Facebook. And it, you know, as I said, it kind of set off these debates where all of a sudden the local news are reporting on it. It got a couple of national headlines, but as I mentioned earlier, just sort of dismissing like, wow, you'll never believe what's going on in this Utah election because most of them tried to frame it as related to the upcoming primaries, which have not since passed. I'm glad um, you said that though. That's an important point to make sure people hear right out of the gate. It's very possible that there is a, a I mean, I'd almost be willing to point out that there that's a guarantee to some level that's influencing choices. Doesn't mean that everything is not real, but th- if you have to, go, go ahead and elaborate on what that, the part of that. So the, I mean, the election I, alongside of it. I am. I, so, so let's start with what, so May 31st, the, the announcement happens. Then okay. the literally the next day, um, and this was totally just, this is what made it even weirder, right? The announcement itself would have been worth reporting on like, Hey, sheriff's office announces they're investigating what they call, those are not my words, ritualistic child sexual abuse that they said involved three different counties in Utah. They said that it has been an investigation that's been happening since April, 2021, and that it was involving local state and federal officials. So this is like, okay, this is a, this is a real deal. This isn't just some rumor or some thing on 4chan or some QAnon clue. This is like a real investigation. And that's what that was. Then within 24 hours, uh, we get another press conference. And this one comes from Utah County Attorney David Levitt, who also happens to be the brother of former Utah Governor um, Mike Levitt, I think is his name. And then their father, Dixie Levitt, and they own the Levitt Group, which is a, a large insurance broker company in the United States. So there's some you know powerful people. And they also all have uh, roles or were members of the uh, Church of Latter-day, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm probably saying it wrong, <laughs> but the the Church of Mormon, the Mormon Church. Yeah, and so I there's think on that point real quick. I think we're it's completely fair to call it the Mormon Church. I mean, people have been weirdly pushing back on saying that that's not that's for I, my whole life. That's what I've heard it called by just co- you know colloquially by people around us. So I don't think that's insulting in any way. So just so you don't have to repeat that long term. Yeah, and it's not meant to be a, 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 a you know an attack or anything like that. But yeah, so so there's people involved in in the church that are around the the uh, investigation. But David Levitt, the day after, again, the county attorney with these familial connections, and I'm going to try to keep all the names you know straight. We might end up having to do a whiteboard video eventually because there are some moving parts. And there's even pieces, as I mentioned, that I didn't bring into this series because it would have been even more confusing. And I think at the moment unnecessary, but you got David Levitt, county attorney, Mike Smith, the sheriff, the day after Sheriff Smith's 
announces his investigation, David Levitt holds his own press conference where he hands to the press a 151-page document, which is labeled victim statement number three. And he, he himself is passed this out and distributed it to the media um, at his press conference. And he comes out and says, this announcement of this investigation into ritualistic child sexual abuse is politically driven. It's an attack on me. And at this point, nobody has mentioned his name at all, not the county sheriffs, not the sheriff himself, not the public information officer, nobody reporting. Like There is, as far as we know, no connection to him. David Levitt himself says this is politically motivated. It's an attempt to come after me because I'm up for re-election in a few weeks. And this is, you know, it's such a coincidental time for them to announce this. And so he passed out the, this victim statement number three. And he said, if you look through this, myself and my wife are listed in it. And it's accusing us of being cannibals. It's accusing us of murder, of torture. And so he's like, I just want to make it clear I'm not a cannibal. I mean, it was really kind of strange. And yeah, and so he inserted himself into the whole investigation by saying that this document labeled victim statement number three, which at the time we didn't really know anything about, just that's all we heard. And I had to dig in and find it and get copies of it and everything. He claimed that, you know, this was in somehow related to the investigation that was announced by the the sheriff's office. Um, okay. Can I ask a quick question there? This I'm just showing this is the statement number three. We'll include all this stuff, by the way. It's all on the server, T-Lab server, so you guys can check this stuff out. How did he know just because he's involved with the office? Is that how we got just who somebody must have been like, hey, your name is in this and gave him this. Right. I mean, how, how else did he find out about it? Do you have any insight on that? I do have some insight. So he is the current county attorney um, of Utah County, although he did lose his election. So he won't become 2023. But he has been there for the last few years, I think since 2018. So he'll be in, been in there for four years. His predecessor, a man named David Sturgis, or I think it's David Sturgis, um, he is the one who actually tried this case. Which So this victim, this is where, like, as I started to dig in, like, what is this 151-page document? That's all the, the media referred to it. And they said, victim statement number three. So I started doing digging. I, I was able to locate through Jenny Hatch and some other sources who were following the story. So that 151-page document, itself is a is a part of a whole set of other documents that are from a 2012 case that involve a man named David Hamblin, who was a therapist. And David Hamblin himself had been accused of a lot of these horrible things going back to the 90s and had been accused several times. There had been attempts to bring him to court. The most recent attempt was in 2012. He was arrested in 2012. And then, the, you know, he was held for a little while. And eventually the charges would be dismissed without prejudice by 2014. So that means without prejudice that they could be eventually tried again. And as I detail in the articles, um, it wasn't dismissed for lack of evidence. It was like there was procedural problems. They were like, we're having trouble getting documents. Somebody was dragging their feet, basically. Right, right. So the, and, the and way, evidence is is pretty horrific. I mean, it's, it it's unbelievable. If you want to get into that, I think that maybe yeah, I mean, I'm happy to share, you know, however much of it you want to. Uh, well, but so, think, let so, me so, let me answer that question that you had yeah. first. So, so David Sturgis is the man who was going after David Hamblin, and he is the one who tried that case. And then when the case was dismissed in 2014, you know, it was sort of, I guess, just gathering dust. Well, David Sturgis leaves and David Hamblin comes into office in 2018. My guess is just by the fact that he's in that office, he might have some relationship with David Sturgis who told him like, hey, they're filing an investigation. And if you don't remember, if he didn't know already, like, hey, this 2012 case lists you and your wife. Maybe he already knew and he had been laying low and never said anything about it, like because he thought it was all over with. And then yeah. he thought he heard. Uh, which has not been completely confirmed, but I believe is true. He heard that, you know, the 2021 investigation by the county sheriff's office involved this 2012 case against David Hamlin. And I believe that has been confirmed in all but a, you know, just clear dialogue. The sheriff's office is not, they have not 
confirmed or denied that this is related because again, they're trying to have investigations. So they're not naming suspects. They're not naming anybody. It's David Levitt himself that inserted himself into this, but they did make it clear that this 2012 case is related. They didn't say that their whole current case is built around it. So it might not be only about David Hamblin. It's apparently going after high profile Utahns as well that are listed, but it definitely does involve this case against David Hamblin. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's, not, and by the way, my point was not to necessarily get into like the, the, the vivid details, but just the idea, the background about how the, the two, specifically the 2012 case actually went down in regard to the information that was there, the evidence that was there, and the fact that in any other circumstance, this was a, basically a slam dunk. I mean, there was te- witness testimony. I mean, people involved. I mean, it, it's pretty incredible to see. I, I'll let you elaborate on it, but then it, it just gets shut down in a very strange way. And, and, and I find it strange to come back to the original question that he decides to kind of step into this. And I'm still interested on how he like I, I find it hard to believe that in, in a normal prosecutor or in, in his office that he was holding situation that he would be aware of every single case and the and the ongoings. So there's either, in my opinion, the fact that he was focusing on that case to make sure he knew if there was any updates, which seems interesting to me, or somebody reached out and said, hey, you know, your name is in this. You know, either way that goes, yeah. that seems a little odd to me. That's all I, I think. Mean. I think either choice is not that great, right? One of them is probably like the second choice you're mentioning it would mean there would probably be a leak in the sheriff's department that right, somebody's right. like, "Hey, man, you should know this is going on." And who knows? I mean, I think it's not beyond the realm of possibility and probably a regularity that in uh, even in local politics that there's for lack of a better term, moles in this office and moles in this office, or at least people who are friendly to both offices who say, hey, guys, I don't know if you want to know, but this is what we heard. There's an investigation starting soon. You might want to check about, you know, be know yeah. about this. And so it could be as simple as that. Or as you said, he could have been keeping his eye on this case in case it ever was brought back. One way or the another, as soon as that announcement was made, he inserted himself into this. And so the 2012 case against David Hamblin. You know, what is that case about? Why is David uh, Levitt bringing himself into this? Because, again, even if, if we were to take out this whole aspect of the story, what we're left with is an announcement by the Utah County Sheriff's Office that they are investigating ritualized child sexual abuse in three different counties happening from 1990 to 2010 in an investigation involving local, state and federal officials. That's 100 percent fact. Like, we know that anything else you know, beyond that. Uh, can get into some speculative or some like we need to wait to confirm. But that is the fact. And that is still an ongoing investigation right now. So even if people take nothing away from this conversation, just know that that's happening right now. And think about the claim of somebody in Levitt's position to argue that a multi-state involving the FBI investigation all has to do with his one position at this local election. You know what I mean? Like, that, I mean, it's certainly possible, but that's a pretty grandiose claim. Um, now, I wanted to point this this tweet out here, and this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. And it says, this is from Adam Herberts, but saying one of the targets of the investigation was a therapist previously charged with a series of sex crimes against young female family members. The the Utah County Attorney's Office dropped the charges and the man was not convicted. Police reports indicate they had a taped confession. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. So we don't have to go into all of it, but unless you want to elaborate, but like, can you talk about this example? Yeah. This this is the kind of evidence I'm talking about that you don't just drop and walk away with because of some procedural problem. I mean, so that's, that is David Lee Hamblin. That is the man that they're And so again, Adam Herberts has been doing great work, but none of the local media will name him. And I get like, they're probably taking a hands-off approach to get like, just like we're not going to name everything that people have said to me just yet until we can prove it. I get that approach. But in this case, since we are still making it clear, he hasn't been found guilty. Although, 
he himself admits it in the documents. Right. As you see the statement on screen, I'm sorry for raping you. And there's other documents as well. Uh, audio confessions, I think, where his wife talks about it as well. So because that's we didn't we haven't released those yet. And I don't know if we could do that if you wanted to, if you want to host them. But I also have all the audio and video from this. I have the video interviews where they're sitting down and talking to the witnesses, giving their verbal statements. Now, I don't know if we need to put that all in the public, but just know that we have this documentation. We're not just making this stuff up. We're looking at the records ourselves, the same records that Adam Herbert and the local news and the same records that the Utah, at least in this 2012 case, that the Utah County Sheriff's Office are looking at. And yeah, so this is about David Lee Hamblin. Um, he is the therapist who has accusations of raping his own children going back to the 90s, as well as people who say that they saw him, including the man they did an interview with that man right there at the bottom of the screen. He said he was sent there to, quote, cure him of his homosexuality. And then that David Lee Hamblin started like messing with his memory, hypnotize, like he was using hypnosis. And that is also one of the other elements that I, as I've dove you know, further into the history of these kinds of things, that seems to be pretty common, different elements of hypnotizing, or that's part of the, the ritual in some way. And in fact, some people who've reached out to me, who've shared some of their memories of these things, have talked about like, being told they were playing games, that they were playing games with other kids, but it was a sort of thing like, one example I'll share, um, that was handed to me by a contact was describing a story of being, you know, surrounded by kids and being told that they were being filled with sand, you know, like sort of like that game some people used to play when you're a little, you know, light as a feather, stiff as a board. You said, like, repeat these things over and you kind of like program yourself and people are like, oh, I think I'm floating. Well, they describe something like that where these kids are all around them. and They're telling them you're slowly being filled with sand. You're getting heavier and heavier and different things like that that made them physically become like really tired. And then they have like some periods where they don't remember everything that happened and um, flashes of things and things. So, I mean, I think that hypnosis we're talking about david lee hamblin at this moment but i think this is probably more common in these kinds of cases than we might realize or some element doesn't necessarily mean the guy's got to watch in front of you this kind of thing but some repetition of words or things that appear like games that could potentially suppress memories or you know these memories could later be triggered as well and that is a whole another part of the conversation we should touch on at some point which is this idea of false memories and, you know, recovered memories itself. Yeah. Um, well, let, let me know if this jumps ahead, or maybe that article before this, but there, it seems like a tie-in right there to the idea. Our stream is of course struggling, no surprise there, uh, of the, the tie-in to the, not necessarily like the, the, the hypnotism style, but more so like very young promises, traumatizing them to kind of fracture their mind in a way that then makes this the, the real, the normal reality, like the, you know, the, the, the scaring and, the, and the, get them to a point to where they, it becomes the normal, like maybe you can explain it better, but or unless you want to wait. Yeah. Time. Yeah, we can. Yeah, I can share about that. So that relates to, I mean, I think this probably is something that people who research this have found in different areas, but what I wrote about is was in the, the final article about the Mormon church specifically. Uh, we don't have to jump all the way into it, but it comes from a report from a member of the church named Glenn L. Pace. And it was called, it's known as the Pace memo. And it's sort of like a legendary thing. Now people in the church know about it, but it's often dismissed as like some old guy. And he, you know, he, he got it wrong and the church knew it was wrong and everybody investigated and nothing happened. But essentially it, it's, it deals with accusations of at least 800 members of the the Mormon church back then in the nineties being involved with these kinds of things. And what Glenn Pace came to believe after spending over a year interviewing victims and witnesses and, and talking to hundreds and hundreds of people was that he believed that part of the purpose of the physical abuse and the torture, because, and I, I guess this is probably where I should outline that some of these documents detail, you know, putting children in really tight cramped boxes. It's not just physical rapes. There's physical rapes. There's uh 
hitting, there's there's torture, there's talk of murdering babies, there's talk of skinning people and then wear, you know, raping other people while wearing their skin. There's talks of incantations and and um, prayers or what you will to Satan and Lucifer. These are not my words. This is what you know the victims talk about in the documents, right? So there are these different ritualistic elements, and the violence is a part of it. Like there's, there, it's not just like, and this is what Glenn Pace said in the memo, that the violence that takes place wasn't just a consequence of like somebody losing their temper and like getting angry at the victim and hitting them, that he believed it was part of an attempt to cause disassociation in their mind so that the people could be fractured and you could have these almost like what has now come to be termed disassociative identity disorder. It used to be called multiple identity disorder, uh, multiple personality disorder, but where people can cart mental compartmentalize certain traumatic events. And we do this on our own. I mean, anybody who's been through some really deep things, sometimes there are memories that you only remember later through therapy or, you know, whatever practices you might try because your brain tries to protect you from really traumatic things. You know, you check out, right? And so he believed that this physical trauma, the the hitting, the pain, and like, you know, the, the forceful rape and abuse was done to cause disassociation, to cause the children to fracture and to not be able to remember everything that happens. And again, talking with some people who claim to have been through this, that is something that seems to be common where people are like, yeah, only later in my life did I realize that these memories I had weren't exactly, things might've happened that I don't remember, or maybe it wasn't exactly the way I was told. I knew we used to go to this neighbor's house and my parents would, all, all the adults would go do something and the kids would go to the basement, but I don't really remember what happened, you know, different things like that. These are not things that I'm saying I experienced. These are things that have been told to me and that some are described in the victim statement. So it does appear to be, and you know, there's, there's a whole history that I think can't a hundred percent be proven to some people who researched this for years. You might know the name Kathy O'Brien. She's a controversial uh, woman who claims to be like a survivor of MK ultra you know, abuse and describes these same kind of things saying that, you know, she was abused to the point of trying to create multiple personalities within her. Um, and so there are, there are claims of these things. And that some of the victims say that there has been this ritualistic element that the abuse is intentional. And yeah, the Glenn Pace memo believed that that was part of the reason they were doing this. Yeah. Historically, there's a lot of the idea of breaking someone down mentally through shock and trauma. I mean, that's, you could find that in a thousand different examples, especially in government and foreign policy. You can find that in the U.S. torture manual. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, but so the the part about the child though, is it's really alarming because this is what you see a lot of this recurring in these conversations of this kind of like intense situation to somebody that doesn't understand what's happening. And, you know, and it's, Splits their mind, you know, and this, this, as you just explained, you can see this coming up again and again in testimony and historical stuff. So this is this whole background there. There's an endless amount of information, by the way. Read Derek's work on this because we're not going to go through every part of it. But in regard to where this started, so this is all coming out. This is all being discussed. uh, 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 Levitt stands up and basically injects himself into this argument. Which you could see going either way from an objective observer. It could you could see that being because he's trying to get ahead of you know something he thinks is being exposed, or because he's genuinely innocent and wants to be like, hey, what the hell? You know, either way you could see that. But then you get this part of the story where he gets caught lying in the in the documents. Essentially, prove that. So go ahead and, and jump to that part if you'd like. Yeah, this is important because I think that this starts to show more about his character, right? Like you said, at, at first you could kind of take an objective stance and say, well, yeah, this does kind of seem maybe politically driven. He's up for re-election. And there's a whole history that goes back and forth that I put some of it in there, but it, a lot of it's like local politics. But needless to say, 
the sheriff's office and the county attorney's office had no love for each other. And there was, you know, previous things going. So you might be, you know, you could look at it and say, okay, well, yeah, this is just, you know, a hit job, political hit job or something like that. But it actually appears that David Levitt genuinely is a corrupt, you know, politician, corrupt uh, um, attorney, because that that article not only shows that he lied because when he gave that press conference, you know, first he's like, I'm not a cannibal, but he also attacked the victims, the unnamed victims. Right. And he called the, the woman, he said, those claims were made by a quote, tragically mentally ill woman uh, that they were, he said the unbelievable, untenable, preposterous, you know, he said all these words numerous times that these are just, and he claimed that again, his predecessor, the guy before him who was trying the case dismissed it because the claims were so outrageous and there was no basis and all these sorts of things. That's what he wanted people to believe. And then, uh, you know, the documents themselves, like, show that there's there's a lot of testimony there, right? So it seemed like, okay, well, how would they get rid of all this evidence, including the man himself saying, I'm sorry, I raped you? Um, you know, how, would, how, do, how do you disqualify that information? But Fox 13, Adam Herbert and the, his team, they actually did find the uh, court transcripts and some audio recordings that clearly show that at no point did either the defense attorney defending David Lee Hamblin or the prosecutor, David... Uh, Levitt's predecessor say that this is preposterous. In fact, David uh, Levitt's predecessor, the county attorney before him, said that if the man, David Lee Hamblin, was found guilty, he would spend the rest of his life in prison. Like he was saying that kind of in defense. He was saying like these charges are so grave, like, you know, we cannot prosecute him for this. He wasn't saying because of a lack of evidence, you know, or anything like that. He was just like, hey, if this guy's found guilty, he's, you know, he's pretty screwed, acknowledging the severity of the claims and the charges and the accusations. And so there was no listing of like, the woman's mentally ill or anything like that. And right. so it, I think that was, that showed his character right away. And the sheriff's office did respond you know, uh, after David Levitt had his press conference. Well, it kind of was like dueling press conferences. The sheriff came back and they held their press conference and they were bringing up this fact and saying like, Hey, this is despicable that he is not only is he talking about an ongoing investigation publicly, like what kind of law enforcement officer does that, right? Like county attorney, you think he would understand you're interfering with an investigation, but also to kind of victim shame and call this person tragically mentally ill and claim all these things. But the, to the, the credit of the count, the sheriff's office, I think they've done a great job of not going tit for tat and kind of like they've just said, we're not going to talk about this. We have an ongoing investigation. You know, the investigation will show who, you know, who's guilty and who's not. Um, and, you know, David Levitt has taken the opposite approach and say, called the sheriff's office QAnon sheriff and just tried to dismiss them and make them seem crazy. But that article, I also go even further back into David Levitt's history. Like, OK, well, who is this guy himself? And you find numerous examples. I only put a couple of them in the article. There was at least a handful more that I found that maybe there's more that didn't get reported of him either dismissing cases or using his power to try to get people out of crimes that he was connected to. And again, people who he knew through the, the Mormon church as well. So he's clearly at, you know, at at the best, this is like a guy who doesn't seem to have very, you know, strong ethics and principles and is willing to use his connections to get his buddies out of, you know, trouble and 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 you know, at worst is actively covering up crimes. Right. Well, that that one part there is a really vivid example of so this is he, investigation he was involved with and nowhere in, in 2012 and nowhere in there is it being stated there's an issue with the witness testimony. In fact, as you point out, it's discussed that, well, this is, you know, he'll probably end up in jail and it'll be the rest of his life. That seems very clear that they felt there was enough there, right? Then all of a sudden, the only reason this, as in retrospect, becomes questionable is because now he's involved. 
So suddenly it everything changes. The evidence is the same. So it just shows you a dishonest nature right there that you can't just suddenly call the same thing different because now you're complicit with or you know potentially being involved in it. That's very very suspicious, right? So it brings. Yeah. Bring, go ahead. Well, and I was going to say in in the the so that was most of what I just said was in the second article, but by the fourth article, um, which I sort of came back to David Levitt, we started focusing on the history of these accusations in Utah and, the, and in the church itself. But I came back to David Levitt because he did lose the election, so he's not going to be a, you know a county official by January two thousand twenty three. But also, we found out that, uh, and I had actually the interesting thing, and I'll say this here on T Lab is there was a video released with him talking and in, in a documentary. And I don't know, I've been told what documentary it was in. I couldn't find him in it. Maybe it got cut from it, but he was apparently sitting down and giving an interview for a documentary. And for whatever reason, starts telling this story about how he used his power once again to get uh, his family, a native American girl. She's now his like great grand niece, I think, um, you know, by adoption. But in this interview, he's just kind of very openly saying like, well, you know, they said, you can't really come on, you know, native land and just take, take a, you know, a child. There's laws against that. And he starts pitching this idea to them about, I know you want to talk about Ukraine. We don't have to jump into that just yet, but it did involve Ukraine. He's like, Hey, I, I know some people in Ukraine because he has an apartment in Ukraine apparently. And he had to go back to Ukraine when this whole war started to get his stuff. I mean, it's so weird, but he told them, he's like, Hey, you guys have Buffalo. I got contacts in Ukraine. They don't have Buffalo. I can help you, you know, strike a deal here. And then he kind of talks about, he's like, well, within 24 hours, I get a call and they're like, yeah, we think we can make this happen. Like he pretty much just openly admits to a crime, to violating, you know, one of the acts that was established to protect Native American children from this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one thing is like that came out showing that. But then in the course of that, it was also revealed that he is under investigation by the Department of Homeland Security for potentially human trafficking related to this incident. And in fact, the local news did a great job of finding a former uh, investigator that worked with Homeland Security Investigations who was actually let go. And I think I included in the article, he spoke out and he basically said like that the investigation against David Levitt got, he got taken off of it. So he filed a whistleblower complaint saying, hey, I think that, you know, that something's happened here. There's plenty of evidence that this guy did something wrong. We have this video of him admitting to doing these improper things. Um, and then the guy files a whistleblower complaint. He gets a letter back and they basically say like, you know, we're not going to do anything. But in the letter, as I include in the article, they do say that there is an ongoing investigation by Homeland Security Investigations against David Levitt. So this man is actively being investigated, not only for this Native American child that has been a part of his family for, I think, over a decade now. So, I mean, I think it would be traumatic to take the child back. I mean, it's just a messy situation. Right. But obviously, we also have these other claims regarding the uh sexual abuse thing. So this guy does not seem to be, to, does not seem to have a bright future ahead. At least I hope, I hope his future involves sitting in a jail cell for one of the things, at least one of the things he appears to be involved in. And at the least, you know, again, cause we live in the, you know, this is happening in the United States, innocent until proven guilty, right? Get him in a court, have him testify, make him talk about what he knows. And if he knows other people, which if these documents are to be believed and these victim statements are to be believed, his wife is involved. Other people in the church were involved. There's numerous other people that were named, including people who are now ad executives and, you know, powerful, influential people that are named in these documents. I've seen some of some of those who have been emailing me have been showing me the names they've found and say, hey, here's the guy, including there's a guy by the name of Joe Bunyan Bunyan who in the documents they discuss how he, and again, this is the claims in the documents, would apparently put some of the, the human bodies that they would kill into his pottery, would would 
however you do that, you know, put like flesh, I don't know. Uh, but I've found videos of that guy out there giving pottery classes. That's, you know, kind of scary stuff, but these people are out there. So I really do hope that whatever, you know, that the, you can hope and pray as much as possible that the, the authorities who are on this case, which don't have the best track record, unfortunately, are going to do their job, right? Because if this Homeland Security investigator is to be believed, this case might already have been put to some friendly people, you know, who aren't, who aren't going to go any deeper. And if we don't see anything come out of this, if 2022 passes and 2023 and the Utah County Sheriff's never announces anything else and the FBI never announces anything else, then unfortunately this is going to end up being one of those cases that's sort of in the mythology of these right. kinds of things that we heard about and we knew this information. We have these details. We got these documents but nothing happens, you know, and that's what I fear the most, honestly. Just like, just like Hamlin before this, or just like this case, we'll talk about later, the, the, one of the big articles on T-Lab that's been posted for years, six cases that point to massive pedophilia rings, at the highest levels of power, like the Franklin scandal and so on. We'll touch on that in a bit. You know, these are, these, that's what you're talking. These are things, these are buried in evidence that are almost, I mean, undeniable. Like I, I'll, I'll save the point that I'll make until we get to just things that are impossible to happen outside of some kind of an abuse situation. And yet they just get dismissed as some mental problem or, you know, that's, so that's, what's frustrating. So hopefully that doesn't happen in this case, but to address a couple of things on this, it's important to realize that for a lot of times in this conversation, people, and, and rightly so focus on the most, the most severe, you know, the ritualistic abuse, the satanic connected stuff, or even just the violent, the most violent, but in this case, you have to acknowledge that there is another level to human trafficking that involves just the illegal sale and, and moving of children that are like, like in this case saying, well, you know, and, and again, I'm not even suggesting that there isn't some kind of abuse or violence or sexual manipulation with this child. We don't know that yet. That's being investigated. But even if it's not to take a child from a Native American res reservation illegally, just because you want a baby that's Native American, that's human trafficking, right? So there's, a, there's, a, there's that part of it too. Absolutely. So whether that's what they're investigating or not, it's important to see that he has his ties back to those cases that do involve stuff like that. So it's very suspect. And and your point is to make clear that there this investigation around this specific human trafficking case with the Native American girl is a separate thing. It's not involved, as far as I understand it, with the larger multi-state investigation. So there's exactly. as far as as far as we know, it's not connected. Right. There could yeah. be some overlap. But it, this, you know, at the at the least, it appears he's got a Homeland Security investigation against him ongoing, which may have already been in, involved to cover up. We've got one whistleblower trying to you know, say, hey, I think there's some funny business going on. And that involves the adoption of a Native American girl. And then we have this other case from the Utah County Sheriff's Office, which he inserted himself into right. that does involve a 2012 case where he is named several times um, as being involved in this kind of things. Right, right. Well, so I guess that takes us to now you mentioned two, three, well, two things that I want to make sure people know we're going to get to, which was the interesting crossover with Ukraine. The fact that it's weird that he has an apartment and all this when I'm going to make clear as we get to the end that there's been an ongoing like horrific human trafficking problem in Ukraine, weirdly enough, since 2014, you know, right when the U.S. government inserted their regime change government. But before that, on top of that, we also have the, the Mormon church part that you mentioned. We'll come to that next. Before we do that, though, let's go back to the, the I believe, the third is it third, I believe, or one of the next articles that goes? Yes, yeah, the third one. The Utah, as you as you the title put, points out or asks, is there a history of ritual abuse in Utah? So this is where we get back into the specific. Unless, unless I feel like you already went over this, is this just around Hamlin, or there's more to this? Right? There's more back. There's some. There's some more to this that I think is worth mentioning at least. Yes. This this was me trying to take a step back from the um, the the 
uh, county sheriff's investigation. I mean, the first couple paragraphs, I sort of update the audience about what was going on at that time, uh, which was namely that the sheriff's office has now said they have received more than 120 tips in the form of phone calls, texts, emails, uh, messages, et cetera, from people. So again, if this investigation never amounts to anything, we are going to have to ask, well, what happened to those 120 plus tips that went to the Utah County Sheriff's Office, right? And what happens to all the people who are reaching out to me? I mean, there's clearly a story here, right? So I was taking a step back from what was going on with that at the moment and said, let's take a historical look at what's taking place in Utah, right? Is there any evidence or reason to suspect that this kind of thing predates this current investigation. And yeah, there is, there is plenty of evidence, um, at least accusations. And unfortunately by this time, uh, especially because of a recent change in Utah state law, a change made by the Utah Supreme court, many of these cases have now been, you know, they're past their statute of limitations. And so these victims will never see, many of them will never see a, a day in court or, you know, anything close to, uh, justice, unfortunately. But I start with going back in March 1990. There was a, you know, I'll preface this by saying many of you probably have heard the talk of the so-called satanic panic. And I covered this in my documentary, The Finders, uh, on The Finders as well. Were there cases that probably were blown out and lack evidence that took place in the late 70s to the early 90s, to the 80s, to the early 90s? Yes, surely there were people who made claims that didn't pan out and lacked evidence. And as I mentioned earlier, sometimes these claims were based on so-called recovered memories, right? Um, those, those memories in many cases did turn out to be inaccurate. People making claims of recovered memories and people weren't where they claim to be and things like that, right? So th this gets into like a whole messy conversation, which leads some people, unfortunately, to dismiss these kinds of cases and say, oh, yeah, Utah, they're making those claims. Don't you know that's all satanic panic hysteria? That was all debunked back in you know the day. And we, we know that that's just it's nonsense, right? It's a very easy thing to say. And it unfortunately works for a lot of people. But it's, it's not that black and white. The fact is that, yes, some people did claim to have recovered memories that turned out to be false. But there are also people who have recovered memories and the circumstances fit what they claim. There's also, from the other perspective, there were victims that were being attacked by certain therapists at the time. And this is a whole other area of research. You can look into this person. I can't remember her name, but she is a therapist. And she tested at Ghislaine, testified at Ghislaine Maxwell's trial as well. That woman came up with this research. I believe she's a woman. I apologize. It might be a man. She came up with this research and called it false um false implanted memories, you know, implanted memories, and started to claim that the different cops and the therapists who were interviewing the kids or the kids themselves were making up things or that they were being suggested to like, and there were some cases for, for example, they might interview a kid and they ask the kid 50 times if anything happened and the kid says no, but the person starts making suggestions and sooner or later the kid claims something happened, right? So the people who are advocates of this satanic panic theory dismissal of all these claim that's all false memory syndrome. Kids were making things up. Adults were putting, you know, things in the, the minds of kids at the time. And they claim that this is just a, a, a symptom of people in the seventies and eighties watching too much satanic movies. And, you know, the conservative culture of the time, because you had people trying to ban music and ban movies in the eighties and things like that. Right. So it, it's, I don't think it's fair to just dismiss everything as the quote unquote satanic panic. And the reason I share all that is because much of what we're dealing with here in Utah takes place in that time, the eighties and the nineties. And so if you are to share this with somebody who's going to go just look at the Wikipedia account of things, they're going to tell you that was satanic panic. It was all dismissed. 
But as I said, there's much more here. And so I just, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge the criticisms that some people might try to make, but I think there, there's more there. Yeah. And to add to that too, I mean, this, this is where you add in the, uh, the satanic part of this that seems, again, that's a valid point to make, to make clear that there's history there that has happened, that can happen. It, it, I'm sure, unfortunately, sadly, is going to happen. The point is not, is to make sure that people see that it's not all like that, right? You have to point out things like the Epstein discussion or the, or the Christian or the Catholic church, right? I mean, that's not a high, that's not a hypothetical. That's real. These people are being arrested for abusing children. Now, was there a satanic element to that? Certainly possible, right? But it doesn't have to mean that all of it's like that. So the problem is that it feels, that feels very, very manipulative, right? To make that the case. So it's easy to dismiss as one lump idea. And that, and that's never the way we should look at these things. I, I think it's also guaranteed that there were some that we can show that maybe were manipulated. Now, was that for the very purpose of being able to dismiss all of it in one thing? We should ask those questions too, but all up in the air, the bottom line Absolutely. is child abuse is real. We all see it. It happens every day, which is hor- horrific and disgusting. So to dismiss these things Statements made by children, especially when you could prove some of the things they're saying, just because of an overarching idea that, that there's some manipulation happening, that is very self-serving, for the, especially for the people that are trying to put this to bed. You know, and that, that's what we see in every field like this. So it's, it's important to make that clear. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you're right that maybe some of those cases that have been claimed as like, oh, see, here's a lie. We told you it's not real are there for that very purpose to make people dismissive of that. And then, you know, the other thing I'll mention before we get in deeper is that when I investigated the Finders cult, there was, just as an example, there was three accusation, main accusations. There was the accusations of child trafficking. True. There was some some troops to that that were covered up. Accusations of cl- uh, connections to intelligence agencies. True. We have documented evidence of that. We have that in the police documents themselves saying that. And there was accusations of Satanism. I couldn't verify those claims. Those were the weakest claims I could find. And I'm not saying again, as Ryan just said, that those do- things don't happen, but Sometimes those can operate as like a red herring to make people dismissive of it, just like people could say, oh, it's QAnon stuff or whatever. Right. So I just want to make that clear that sometimes it's not related to Satanic, satanic activity. Right. And like it's the, just, that's the best example to make right there is that again, there's plenty of stuff with the whole Q. Like it, we're at a point now, I think we can all acknowledge that was not what we that the people thought it was. I mean, clearly this, you know, there's a lot of claims. But the point is that there's plenty of things that were stated in that whole conversation that were that had some level of truth to them. So that, that's how those things are used. And it's it's very telling and, and suspect if when be, the, many, much of the Q crowd was very focused specifically on the satanic pedophiles and the Democrats, even though when you break into the idea of just this child abuse conversation, it's pretty ubiquitous across left and right of the illusion of that paradigm, you know, so it's, it's weird and I, that people point at the Q conversation to dismiss stuff like this. So whether or not, I mean, it, again, there's obvious examples historically. So things like this are used regularly to dismiss this. And when you yeah. see the level of government involvement, like it's, seems pretty, it's a good question to ask at the very least. Right. Well, and everybody involved in the specific Utah case we we're covering is a Republican, by the way. So, I mean, I think that should, should be assigned to you. It's not just one party or the other, but so now that I've kind of set the stage for that, um, this, this fourth art or this third article focused on the 1990s and there was several different, uh, investigations actually that rose to the level of the state themselves forming commissions. And this is because, again, all the claims of the 70s and 80s, parents are saying, hey, I I heard this thing or I seen this thing. So the Utah governor formed a commission they called the Commission for, uh, excuse me, the Utah Task Force on Ritual Abuse. And for two years, they gathered data, they interviewed people. And in 1992, they issued their final report, which we linked in the article. It's called the Report of Utah Task Force on Ritual Abuse. And this one was more favorable to the idea that this exists. They said that there were 
generational cults that were operating in secret, sometimes using the cover of religious organizations, including the Mormon church. And that's the thing, right? Sometimes the ritualized element, it's actually has been described in some cases as like a bastardization of Christian or Mormon traditions, like where they sort of use some of the same maybe dresses or, you know, ritualistic elements, but they corrupt them and use them in different ways, right? So it's not necessarily what we would call satanic, like in the sense of praying to Satan, but it's not, it's a, it's a, there's ritual to it, but it's not Christian either, right? And so, um, if I can interject real quickly, the, the, I believe even the investigators of Utah made this point as well, that it doesn't necessarily, like ritualistic abuse uses often religious tenets like you're pointing out, but it doesn't necessarily have to mean any religious connotation. Just the idea of what we discussed in regard to the fracturing of the mind and having a process to it, that's ritualistic, you know, but, and that could mean more occult side of it, or it could just mean more like that's one of this, the differentiations we have to recognize that it's not all one thing in that regard. Do you have, do you have thoughts on that? That tie back to the Utah investigation? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that that's, and that's what the eventual, so that, you know, we're doing with the first investigation, there is another investigation that comes out and that's what the researcher, the investigator, Mike King kind of makes those points that, you know, he, he heard claims of satanic and Luciferian and things like that. But most of the times that when he found rituals, it wasn't things of that sort, but it was again, ritual, like some sort of, maybe they're wearing hoods or maybe there's like a, uh, prayer repeated or some sort of words repeated, right? That's like the ritualistic element. And then again, of course, the abuse was part of the rituals as well. Right, right. So this report, as I said, the first one, which led to another one, was a little bit more favorable. And, say, and it did acknowledge, though, that these cases are very difficult to prove in court because oftentimes people don't you know, share them till later. But they also said that people were, were quote, they had become, they had a quote, real expertise at hiding their tracks. And so that task force in 1992 asks the attorney general of Utah for several, like a quarter of a million dollars and four investigators to do another investigation. And that led to them hiring two investigators. They didn't give them, you know, the full thing they wanted, but they said, okay, we're going to further investigate that. And, you know, that goes to another investigation. And what I showed in this article is that one of the investigators who was, who would eventually be involved in that was the man I mentioned a moment ago, Mike King. And he had sort of started his, you know, his career, or at least he developed his, uh, his reputation as being involved in this by investigating something that became known as this, the Zion society cult that was again in the early nineties. So here's an example of something that was a cult had ritualistic elements, but it wasn't necessarily Mormon or it wasn't necessarily Christian. Um, and it involved sexual abuse. It involved, you know, a ring of people uh, and, and it involved, you know, abuse of children. So a real, real world example of this, but it was, uh, it seemed to be more of a cult around this man, Arvin Shreve, I think, uh, his name. Yeah. And so Mike King was involved in that investigation. And then he would eventually get hired for this 1992 uh, investigation by the Utah attorney general's office. And that itself would lead to once again, another two and a half year report. And Mike King was a little bit more skeptical this guy. And I think he's an interesting man. He seems like an honest investigator. He spent a lot of time, he said he talked to hundreds of people and their report, which is called Ritual Crime in the State of Utah, Investigation, Analysis, and a Look Forward, seemed to take a truly objective approach. Like they didn't just dismiss out of hand claims of Satanism or Luciferianism. They said, yes, this, these, these allegations exist, but they also weren't really ready to kind of say, like be as bold as the previous report that said generational groups of Satanists exist. And I think even that in some cases, and I don't know if this was done on purpose, uh, or maybe it's just, you know, it's just what they came up with, but it seems to contradict itself a couple of times. So 
you know, for example, in one of the uh, portions that I included in the article, they talk about how they have dedicated thousands of hours to follow up on these allegations. They've searched uh, hillsides for ritual sites. They staked out potential ceremonies. They said again here, they're quote, unable to uncover any physical evidence to support the claims of existence of organized cult. So that's like one statement seems clear enough, but then they follow it up with saying that evidence has been uncovered to support the thought that individuals in the past and are now committing crime in the name of Satan and other deities. The allegations of organized Satanists, even groups of Satanists uh, who have permeated every level of government and religion were unsubstantiated. So again, like they're saying that people might commit crimes and, you know, tell their victims or the devil's behind this, or if you do something bad, the devil's going to come for you to just scare their victims. But they still don't necessarily think that there is evidence of this like deep infiltration of government. Uh, And they continue clearly crimes involving sexual and physical abuse are occurring. Evidence in the state supports the notion that ritual crime can exist even on a large scale, as they saw in the Zion society, Uh, police agencies from across the state should evaluate this, but they end with saying, there's absolutely no evidence to support any that any police agency is refusing to investigate allegations of ritual crime when those allegations involve criminal activity. So, you know, he obviously he's a cop. Maybe he has a bias towards believing the cops and believing, you know, that they're doing everything they can. But that's kind of where, you know, where things are, is you end up with like there's the Zion Society cult. There's been at least two major investigations by the state, one which found that there were that there was satanic activity, the other, which was a little bit more skeptical and not ready to be as bold. Um, And yeah, and that's kind of where things were. Now I'll say the final thing about it, where I end the article was again, by asking like, is this just satanic panic or is there something more? Because I found these other articles uh, that were in the Deseret News, which I think is partly owned by the Mormon church, which is interesting. Uh, September 91 did this article called Tales Are Bizarre, But True, Deputy Says. And I looked it up and there's a guy named Deputy Dennis Howard of the Utah County Sheriff's Office. And he claimed back in 1989 that he'd taken at least 42 reports alleging animal or child abuse. And he says, uh, victims will tell you stories that are so bizarre, it's difficult to believe them, but I have no trouble believing it. It's happening in Utah and in every other county uh, of the state. So that was like, well, that's a pretty bold claim. And then it goes on. He says that he, he also says he can name people who are guilty of ritualistic crimes, but, quote, I can't touch them. They are too good at what they do and learn from court testimony in other cases about how to get away from their crimes. And that to me is like, wow, like that, you know, how does somebody say that? And then there's no follow up. There's no like uh, additional questions. But I've seen that a lot in corporate mainstream reporting. They'll just sort of throw out a nugget of truth like that. And then it never goes anywhere. Well, I did find Deputy Dennis Howard and I reached out to him via Facebook and some other places. I haven't heard back from him. I don't know if he's somebody who doesn't want to talk about any of these things, but he's still alive. He's he's retired. He actually ended up becoming um, a, uh, a mayor in a different part of Utah for a small town for a little bit and then retired in the last few years. So he's still alive. And if anybody's got contacts with Deputy Dennis Howard of uh, Utah or you know any way that maybe I can get in touch with him, that because so far I've been unsuccessful to get a response from him. But I would like to just ask him like, hey, I know it's been a long time, but do you remember anything about these cases where you're claiming you can name the people, but you can't touch them? I mean, that seems like a pretty important point to follow up with. I completely agree. I mean, obviously we could, I guess, it what he means there. I mean, it's pretty clear that what the meaning is, but that to elaborate it, you know, is does that mean that there are people? I mean, to me, that simply suggests that there are high level people 
right? With their, they just, they just are untouchable. Not that there's, if he knows who they are, it can't just be that they're good at covering their tracks. He clearly knows who they are already. There's a level of, of shielding there, at least the way that it's his suggestion would be. But so, and this is what we continue to see historically. Like your point, you make a statement like that. How can there be zero follow-up? How can there be like, I mean, it, 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 we can make that argument by pointing out all the discussion around Epstein's, the whole case there before we saw the resolution or rather what they call the resolution. The, the evidence was always there. It's not like it just suddenly showed up when the media, the corporate media started covering it. So this, again, speaks to this larger background that there very clearly is undeniably high level people that are involved that that that, uh, that abuse these situations that in fact cultivate a a, a grouping of people or a, a field of work that they can abuse and use from their authority position. This is historically proven, right? So the, the question needs to be, is that again happening here? And I, it's just, it's, I, I find it impossible to, to not see what's happening here. I mean, it's, it's the, all the evidence is there, all the testimony, which then brings us to the Mormon church part of this, unless you have any other parts, because this seems to be the most kind of historical background to what we're talking about here. And again, not to say that yeah. it's the entire Church of Mormon or that it's every church you would look at, but that there is undeniable parts of this that just can't be ignored. Yeah, no, I'm good to move to that last part there. So, um, yeah, and I mentioned this in the, this article about the, the Mormon church to specifically make it clear that, as we've said already, we're not attacking everybody who's been a member of that church, ever attended every person in a position of power. But I will also say there are people who believe that there are people who believe that who were former members of the church, who spent years and decades in the church, people who spent time in church leadership, who believe it is corrupt to the core. There are even people and we don't have time to explore this and I don't have the evidence to prove it at the moment. But there are people who believe from the founding, the original founder of the church, Joseph Smith, um, that there was some corruption and these kind of things, and that it stems from, you know, the polygamous history of the original church. Now, obviously the main uh, LDS, the Mormon church does not practice polygamy anymore. That would be the fundamentalist LDS, the FLDS, the other offshoot breakoff, which is not connected officially in any way, but originally the church did support polygamy. And so things like polygamy and, and the history of that has led things like incest has led to family rape, you know, father marrying daughter, things of that sort. And uh, they do happen. So while I'm not making those claims in this article, there are indeed, and even in the comments on the article, I'm sure you saw them, Ryan, there's people who look at a lot of the symbols in the Church of Mormon and see uh, Masonic symbols. And I think there's even some quotes that have been attributed. I don't know if they're, you know, 100% proven to Joseph Smith, where he's talked about some of the similarities from the Masons and the Church of Mormon. So there's a lot, there, there are those speculations, but what I stuck with was the things that have either come to the light, have been taken to court, or have been, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of books have been written about the abuse taking place within the church. And one of the cases, at least that I talk about, was done anonymously because people are afraid to kind of come out in the open. Yeah, if I could say one, to, to your point, just to hear for myself as well, you know, nobody, myself or Derek is suggesting that that's not the case either, just that we can't prove one way or the other at this point. And that's the objective stance to take. But my my personal perspective, look, just looking at what's happening with the Catholic Church, it's it, there's no way to not see that as systemic. I mean, let's be real. It's, it is multinational all around the world. I mean, what's that case in Chile where every single pre uh, past uh, priest in the diocese all resigned simul at the same time because of these allegations, like 50 plus people like there, this, and, and this is something you can't miss. So it's possible is the point. 
right? So is that the same case in the Mormon church? It's a valid question to ask, right? That's important. So go ahead. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I think that there there should be a time to to investigate those claims as well, because as you mentioned, there's other people who feel that way about different religious institutions. And one thing I did learn, because I'm by no means an expert on the church at all, uh, but I did learn quite a bit over the last six weeks that I've been diving in, um, including, you know, listening to a lot of Mormons, current and former Mormons, sharing their stories uh, about their experiences. But you have to understand this, too. We've mentioned David Levitt, right? We've mentioned David Lee Hamblin. And there's some other names. Well, if you go back to the founding families of Utah, like for people who don't really know the history of Utah and the Western United States, I mean, it was the Wild West, right? You could come out there and settle. Well, a lot of religious groups were the kind of people that would go settle to seek uh, freedom to practice the religion. That included the Mormons who eventually made their way to Utah. And they've been there for generations now, and they have immense power politically, religiously, etc. Well, you can go back to some of the founding families of what would become the current uh, Mormon church. And you have the Levitts, the Hamblins, the Smiths. These people are connected to. So, I mean, I'm just saying, like, maybe there's something generationally that's been passed down other than just the family name. But when it comes to this article, I focused on we kind of we start going backwards and I didn't go as far back as we could. But I started with the Pace memo that I mentioned earlier. A lot of this, again, starts around the 90s. So Glenn L. Pace, I kind of already outlined this. He sends a a memo to the church leadership saying, hey, I've been investigating this for the last year. Here's everything I found. And he says that, you know, 60 different members of the church claim that they were forced to participate in various rituals, sexual rituals, sexual abuse that sometimes were referred to as satanic. And he said that he could have done, you know, there could be two or three times as many people, but he only allowed himself to do one meeting a week, going back to how difficult some of this stuff is that we were talking about at the beginning. He only allowed himself one time a week, and he still came up with 60 victims at least. And the different names that were named, he said, implicated at least 800 members of the church at that time, including uh, bishops, deities, president, patriarchs, temple workers, members of the churches, women and uh, young men and women's groups, and even members of the church choir involved in these kinds of things. And he goes through to describe some of this. He's the one who talked about the disassociation that we mentioned earlier. Um, Eventually, this memo is leaked to the public and it does become mainstream news. The Chicago Tribune and other other outlets talking about it. Uh, And Glenn Pace at the time was was speaking out about it, but the church leadership denied it, said that this is, you know, there's nothing going on here. And even the police officers learned about it. Remember, I mentioned a few moments ago that you had the early 90s investigations by the Utah County or the, yeah, the Utah Task Force on Ritual Abuse. So they did investigate this. And that guy, Mike King, that I mentioned, who was involved in the second investigation in Utah, he called the claims absurd um, as far as, you know, involving the church. I don't know how deeply he looked into it. And I also don't know if he was a member of the church. That's kind of the interesting thing, too, is like when you're investigating things happening in Utah and you're investigating things involving the Mormon church, you have to ask yourself, well, is this person a member of the church? Because it's pretty common and it's pretty prevalent that it doesn't mean they're a true believer necessarily, but there's, you know, I think there's something to be said that there's a bias and people within religious institutions, sometimes they might have more of a allegiance to their religion and their community there than they have to the law and their day job, right? So see this happen in politics every day, right? People will choose to ignore things that happen on the other, on, on their side, right? So they will fail to acknowledge even just this exact topic 
of, 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 you know, child abuse at high levels of power, you know, omit the ones that are on Republican sides, well, you know, and vice versa. It happens every day. It's not that it doesn't even have to necessarily inherently mean dishonesty because maybe they just don't want to see it. They're unable to see it, but it usually is a level of dishonesty, but that's important. But one, one part that stood out to me that I thought was really telling was that in your article here, the discussion of the statute of limitations and the idea that the Utah Supreme Court was ruling on this case and that the church, the, the, the Mormon church, basically, or specifically, as it says, uh, they were trying to depose Nelson and Craig Smith, but the church pushed back and said, like, let's wait to see how this case pans out. And so basically, let's let's hope that the statute of limitations runs out and they rule on that. So therefore, you are not allowed to look into these people. I don't know. What do you, that feels very dishonest to me. Or maybe objectively, they're they're you know using it as a way to avoid things they don't think are just. But I don't know. That felt dishonest. I, I think there was a lot of people um, who would stand to benefit and would be thankful for the Utah Supreme Court's decision to rule the way they did. And yeah, so that's that's uh, later in the article, and it does really. So the one I was just referring to was Glenn Pace in the '90s, and the case you're talking about is the man who's pictured at the top of the article is Russell M. Nelson, who's the current president who we should mention as well it's not like they're just like president of the church in the mormon church they're considered prophets they ha- he has like several ty- titles he's a seer he's a prophet he's got these different you know so this is like a holy man according to these folks which you can understand why when somebody accuses him and at him he has been accused in some cases i think anonymously but his daughter specifically and his son-in-law of sexual abuse people don't want to talk about it they don't want to look at it so yeah that case unlike the one we talked about earlier with the 2012 case which was dismissed without prejudice this case was dismissed with prejudice which means it cannot be retried again and then when you add to that the utah ruling on uh, statute of limitations it basically struck down a whole lot of cases that could have maybe made their way to the courts you know but now they can't to clarify for people listening, just because that's an important point right there that we quickly went over. So his his family members are publicly accusing him of abusing them, both his daughter, you said, and his and his son-in-law. Right. They're publicly acu- accusing him. Well, of this, his right? daughter and son-in-law are the ones accused of being involved in it. They're being accused, though, by anonymous people. We don't know. They, they, they haven't. Okay. Um, they haven't named no, but it's his family specifically that is being accused, and he was he was supposed to be deposed. That's what the whole ruling was about. You just mentioned mm-hmm. they were trying to get him to testify to see what he knows. They haven't officially accused him. Then they made it clear he's just a witness, but they wanted to get him to court to say, "Hey, testify what you know or what you've heard about your daughter and your son-in-law." And he was refusing to do that. The church was like, "No." And then before they could even do anything, the Supreme Court made this ruling, and it basically nullified the whole case altogether. So in, in, in so in his his involvement is only that he has knowledge potentially about other people doing things. There are that- there are accusations against him, but they haven't made their way to court. And so the other thing that in this article, maybe we could scroll that if you go to the paper dolls section, these two things are actually connected. I didn't want to make the connection in the article, but somebody in the comments, you know, they they made the connection and we might as well share it. That this book, Paper Dolls, that I mentioned, is written anonymously by two women who go the name April Scott. And Carol, uh, yeah, April Scott and Carol Scott, they, um, April Daniels and Carol Scott, they, those are fake names. And this was published again in the, I think the 90s. And what we are told is that the women that are describing abuse in this case, they talk about touching parties and they talk about uh, how, you know, they're, they have parents who are secret alcoholics. And who look at pornographic photos of each other with the family's camera. And she says that she was, quote, orally raped at seven years old by her uh, father to the point that her front teeth were loose for six months. 
um, you know, just different disturbing things like this, right? So this is an anonymously published book. It got out there, it got some discussions among church leadership uh, about who might who it might be implicating, but it really never kind of caught traction. I think they attempted to bring it to court and it was later dismissed. So then you jump forward to this case that we're talking about with uh, the Nelsons, Russell Nelson and his daughter and her husband, his daughter and son-in-law. Well, there's a belief that Paper Dolls was about them, that Paper Dolls was actually written describing the abuse that they did. And in fact, that it implicates Nelson in it. But again, it's written sort of like anonymously. It doesn't specifically name anybody. It says church leadership and my father and this and that. But that is the belief. And that's why in the case when you of the section where I talk about Nelson and the accusations against his daughter and the, the son-in-law, they even mentioned like this was tried back in the 80s. He says like by the bountiful police, which I think is a, a section of uh, a part of Utah. And he said that, yeah, that the abuse had been alleged back in the 80s and that it was investigated and it was dismissed. So that's kind of what they always say is like, oh, we already looked into this. There's nothing here. Um but that seems to be the case is that paper dolls was actually written describing the Nelsons and then his daughter and then, you know, um, son-in-law and that abuse may or may not have continued. We don't know because the six anonymous defendants, they're mainly focused on things that happened in the past. But one thing that is clear from all these cases, Ryan, is that when people abuse, it's not like they just abuse one time, especially in these kinds of terms we're talking about. It's not like somebody just goes out one day and on a whim decides to abuse a child. And then that's it. Like these things often you know, are kind of part of their behavior. Right. And you and that's a common thread in pretty much any investigation or any researcher or, or detective that's on these kind of cases. They'll tell you that there's, it's almost impossible. You never find that there's some people that it's a, it's a, it's like any other illness. If you even want to call it that, you know, it's, it's not to in any way try to like diminish that these people are responsible for their actions, you know, pedophilia or, or serial killers. Like these people are just, you know, it's it's something that continues to be done for reasons that, you know, these kind of investigators can explain, but that it's an urge to drive these people and it's horrific and this needs to be discussed because of that. And any kind of over kind of broad dismissal of this allows these things to take place. And that's just unacceptable. You know, they're like any kind of these things where even especially related to the church, where you get people in the church basically saying, well, no, I don't believe it. Like, I don't want to believe that my church will be involved in that. And, and, and then like, we see that in politics today as well, in any conversation where, oh, that's, that's absurd. That's conspiracy theory. These are these blanket statements used to dismiss these things without any real investigation. These kind of things should never be brushed over ever when, especially when there's evidence like this, it's, it's absolutely good. Well, the, one of the last things I, I just have to say here, I'm pretty much almost done with sharing everything I put together. Like I said earlier, there's more that, um, you know, I know we want, we're going to talk about Ukraine still. There's some other threads in this that maybe for another conversation that it, those just confuse people more, but right. there was definitely some other elements of this sheriff's invest, the original sheriff's investigation that I still don't fully understand. But the one point I want to mention here that I put in the article about the, uh, Mormon Church specifically is again. There's another book written. This one, not anonymously, uh, it was written by Martha uh, Beck, who is the daughter of a Mormon scholar known as Hugh Nibley. The book was called "Leaving the Saints: How I Lost the Mormons and Found My Faith," where she describes accusations of sexual abuse by her father. Again, this was a man who was highly revered and respected in the community. No, as you mentioned a moment ago, people didn't want to believe it. They thought it was nothing. She even said that she, you know, was told by. Uh, by one person to like forgive and forget somebody in the church. And what I th think is interesting though, is that she describes like in her experience, how she's been trying to since her, since leaving Utah and going elsewhere and moving on with her life, trying to establish like, is this just 
a Utah problem, which obviously it's not, but she was really more like, is this happening more in Utah than in elsewhere? Because that's what she felt like. And there's just this one section from the book that I thought was kind of interesting. She says that personally, I think the answer is yes, particularly in the core population of the Mormons who are descended from the polygamous ancestors. And that's what I was talking about earlier. She says, quote, since moving away from Utah and working as a life coach for hundreds of people from all walks of life that I have encountered only a handful who say they were sexually abused as children. In Provo, in Utah, at the Lord's University, it seemed that I couldn't open my car door without smacking an incest survivor. So, you know, that's her personal experience. But I think that's interesting that she's saying like, hey, I'm, you know, a life coach. I'm seeing all kinds of people and I'm not meeting, you know, maybe somebody who's been sexually abused once a year or something. But I go back to Utah and it's everywhere. That's very telling. That's the kind of stuff that just gets continually dismissed as, again, going back to even the idea of the satanic, you know, whatever they call it, the, the, the dismissal of that entire discussion. But since, since we're finishing on this last point, just, you know, there's plenty of people historically in, in the case of the, of the Mormon church specifically, this last one you mentioned, Warren Jeffs in 1986 is a prominent person who is a convicted pedophile who is, a fine, you know, ends up in a leadership position. You know, this is historically something that is, is prevalent in these fields, not to say that it's every church everywhere, but people find their way in these positions because they know it gives them cover. So I'm, I should say people that have these kind of disgusting proclivities find their way into these positions in child services because they know it gives them some level of cover. And that's the horrific part about this. And that's why these things need to be addressed. Not that, not the stupid argument of, let's say like the, Kavanaugh part is believe all women. It's like, that's the other ridiculous side of this. We need to show skepticism and discernment, but investigate these things. We need to care about these kind of allegations, especially when they come from vulnerable people about high level people. Absolutely. That's how they tend to be. Go ahead. And, and I'll just, I'll just uh, want to just to make sure, you know, we catch anybody who's, who's going to be offended that Warren Jeffs was the leadership of the FLDS, the pro- church that broke off, you know, that is so, right. you know, that it's a big distinction in the community, whether it is for us or not, they want, always want to make sure that people, but either way, it shows that within just different parts of the church, again, that's the part of the church that practice polygamy still. And that led to Warren Jeffs. Uh, that was the very, you know, it's been more popular in the mainstream than most of the things we talked about here today. So there's like a documentary series that I mentioned, keep sweet, pray and obey that uh, is worth watching for those who want to learn more about that topic. But again, even in that case where that man is in prison now, he's in prison for probably the rest of his life. He got tried in Texas and I think in Utah and maybe even another state for trafficking, but the people still consider him a prophet. A lot of the people are still like diehards and like still believe him. They think he was totally lied about. Um, and he wasn't even found guilty for everything that he's been accused of, including raping of children. Like he, he got some like lesser, he's, you know, he's doing time in a federal prison or whatever. And that's great. But the truth hasn't fully come out. Right. right. And his, his own nephew wrote a book about it. Um, and, you know, ended up one of his other, one of his nephews killed himself. You know, this, so there's definitely some, some dark stuff here. Uh, and, it, and it's a reality. And the other thing I'll mention for those who want to dive deeper into this, and especially if you are in the Mormon church, go to YouTube and check out a channel called Mormon Stories. And it's just about people sharing their, their views about Mormonism. It's definitely people who've left. But if you want to search on their channel, search satanic abuse or ritual abuse, and you'll see people within the Mormon church talking about their own experiences. That was definitely another source that I used as well. Yeah. The first happened, the same thing now was happening. It just come up, the, the stepping, the refusal to acknowledge what people were saying. You know, that's what happened in these situations. So, because we don't want to believe in the same thing happening now, 
literally, you know, trying to cite that actually grandiose claims of saying how whether or not does the Epstein and everything else to make here it does uh, this discussion here. Just and we don't we can want to get into it deep. We, we there's a lot of these cases historically. It's an important article that I always reference from the website that talks about major cases historically that point to these massive child abuse pedophilia rings at the highest levels of power. And the point that I kind of put off before that that we discussed, I think it was the Presidio military base case, which is right here. I hope not pointing out the wrong one, but it is in this article where you have a case, let's for instance, of of children on a bait on and a daycare. All, many of them coming down with venereal disease. Like how in the world you would try to dismiss that as a mental problem, which is what happened. Acting like these kids were making their stories up, but you have provable cases of this. Now, this is what Derek was pointing out is that they dismiss it. Then it gets put to bed. It all gets broadly dismissed as this, you know, whatever situation, but then you dig into the details and you go, well, what, a, what about the cases of venereal disease? And that's the kind of thing that happens. Oh, well, that's been put to bed. If it's statute of limitations, and that's how that's where it leaves. And so they get and then it gets dismissed as conspiracy theory by the larger people that point at us when we discuss it, you know, and this is not something to be dismissed. There's some horrific stories like this. So if you'd like to dive through this article, there's a lot of them. the Franklin scandal is a huge one. This what you're looking at here from The Washington Times is a real it's a real corporate media article. Homosexual prostitution inquiry and snares, VIPs with Reagan, Bush, you know, but this didn't really amount to much. Right. If you have any comments on the broader discussion there, otherwise we can finish up with some Ukraine points. Um, I mean, I disagree with you that it's important for people to be aware of the history of this because, you know, I again, you can go to the, the consciousresistance.com, my website and search the finders and yes, watch the documentary. Um, the Franklin scandal you mentioned, I saw it talked about the Dutro affair there as well. I mean, we can obviously Epstein, but Epstein's just a piece of the puzzle. Jean-Luc Brunel, uh, right. Peter Nygaard, which I've written articles about for T-Lab. You know, there is it's. If you haven't by now got that it's a problem that pervades all aspects of society from religions to politics to celebrities to, you know, all the, these different areas, it's uh, I think we're well beyond the realm of say, if just dismissing these things as satanic panic. Yeah, absolutely agree. And and that's the that's the part of all this that really like the Epstein, all these different parts of it are, are moving parts to a larger problem that gets kicked out, you know, oops, shoot, as I spill my drink, that gets kicked to the side as as ridiculous as fake news and and people just put it to bed but so to, to finish off here uh i wanted to make sure we tie this back in with what i was mentioning in the beginning which is epstein's a good an important part of this that it's not just one entity this is an, a a network that global scale and during wartime syria was a horrific example eva bartland i believe discussed this and vanessa as well vanessa Bealy, of of provable human trafficking in one case introduced to the Hague in regards to the white helmets, not, not the actual civil defense group, but the fake entity that's called the white helmets. That is a, a, an abusive situation. And there's proof of that, but serious children, for instance, where there was tens of thousands of children were missing that nobody even talks about. My point is to bring this to a specific case in Ukraine. Interestingly, it does tie back to, to Levitt specifically, but you can see that there's a history here in Ukraine. Here's a U.S. Institute of Peace discussion. Russia's Russia's war has created a human trafficking crisis, they say. It's only Russia's war, right? It's only right now. But what's interesting is they, in these articles of today, try to frame it as one thing. But even in these articles, it doesn't have to do with Russia. It has to do with entities and elements that are already there, crossing borders with Poland, and how this is clearly an ongoing problem. And you can see this going back to a lot of different cases. Here's 2016. This is the Atlantic Council. Ukraine should do more to combat human trafficking. It's odd that the current conversation doesn't encapsulate that, which this was, which is, this is during the U.S. controlled regime. 
Same thing here. This is uh, The Guardian from 2016. Sex lies and psychological scars inside Ukraine's human trafficking crisis. Right in 2017, the State Department does an article or a report about this. Here's what it says: vigorously investigate the recommendations for Ukraine, vigor- vigorously investigate and prosecute trafficking offenses, including public officials complicit in trafficking crimes. It's funny how that part oh, of the story no. just gets ignored today and just dumps on Russia's doorstep, right? But that's that's a pretty big, you know, admission right there, just hanging out there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think that, you know, these what people need to understand is that anytime that there's going to be some major event like that, you're talking wars, you're talking famines, uh, big, big sort of chaotic displacement where people are having to run away from home and things like that. Inevitably, there are going to be people who take advantage of that. And that includes traffickers. And now whether these traffickers are tied to the high profile politicians, as we've discussed, does happen or simply just, you know, criminals on the ground taking advantage of a chaotic situation. These things do happen. And, you know, as you said, this point with David Levitt, this is not something I have the uh, the uh, resources at the moment to fully investigate, but it would be an important. I think here's another thread for anybody who has the time or the ability is that what we do know is that David Levitt, again, the man who said, I'm not a cannibal, I'm not involved in anything, but also was found to be a liar, was also found to be, you know, currently under investigation for his adoption of a Native American girl, where he claimed he was going to spark a deal between Ukraine and the uh, reservation to get them Buffalo and, you know, have some financial exchange. That same man maintained the department in, uh, in Ukraine. And when this whole conflict recently began, he was, he, there was even like, local news articles you can find of, Oh, David Levitt heads back. He says he needs to clear his apartment out before things get dangerous. Like, so now does that mean he was involved in this human trafficking going on over there? I don't know, but I do think it's odd that he's got these different accusations against him in the U S and then he's also got this history of this native American adoption where he references Ukraine and then heads back to Ukraine once things are starting to get heated. Like, I don't know. But without a doubt, people take advantage of those kind of situations and they do traffic. And often, I think, at the highest levels where these sort of things are sanctioned to some degree by maybe the CIA or other, you know, rogue outfits, those kind of things can provide cover for the trafficking. Absolutely. And that's exactly the point that we're seeing through this whole thing is the very idea of authority and, and, and altruism placed on authority is what is being used to cover these up on a regular basis. Well, you know, and, and whether, you know, whether it's the altruism, the, the fake altruism of sp- spreading freedom around the world or, you know, whatever it is, that's what's covering the stuff. And it's always happening. And it doesn't always have to be high level authority, but there are people that abuse that these people in authority in plenty of provable cases turn a blind eye. And we, whether or not they're involved, but there's cases also where we see where they are involved. The bottom line here is there's a lot of this going on that gets dismissed. And and and, and there's also a, an effort to breed the idea or to, to, to see the idea into people's minds through social media today that these things are usually fake. Usually, you know, satanic fever or whatever it is today. You know, even, even after Epstein, we have people that dismiss this, oh, QAnon stuff. That's what these things are meant to do, guys, and we can't be that stupid. We have to be willing to show discernment and question this stuff. And I want to make one last point, then I'll leave it to you, Derek, to, to leave us off whatever you want to discuss, future investigations, your thoughts. Is I'm seeing in the chat, you know, people, I'm tired of this world, you know, and it's never been more important to me to push this idea to make sure we understand 
the whole point here is not to talk away, walk away feeling that, oh, we're, that we're doomed and everyone's bad and everyone's abusing children, but rather to recognize that there are good people like Derek out there that are putting all they have on the line to fight for these children, to make sure people see what's happening. And that there's a lot more people than you realize, good people out there that are doing everything they can to make sure this doesn't continue. That's the positive note. And I do believe we're making a difference. And I do believe that it's turning the tide here. And that maybe that's naive. Maybe that's wishful thinking, but I believe it. I see it every single day. So don't lose hope, guys. I believe we're making a difference. So thank you for being here, Derek. Appreciate hey, it. I appreciate you having uh, having me on, Ryan. And again, I appreciate you uh, letting me run with this investigation because it is important. And yeah, I I can totally empathize with those who come away from something like this feeling pretty heavy or you know just not that great or not that optimistic for the future because this is one of the darkest areas of, 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 I think our world, but also of, of research. And when I, tr- when I am in this research, as I mentioned earlier, I try to really remind myself that it's not just about like, Oh, can I get a, a viral video? Cause this includes An- Prince Andrew or Epstein. Like I said, the salacious dramatic details that some people get caught into or only want to pay attention to if it involves those things. As far as I'm concerned, I'm concerned. I mean, I, I'm, I think there's injustice from the, runaway kid who somehow got sucked into prostitution on the streets of Houston or Chicago or New York City or anywhere else, just as much as I am the person being trafficked by the high profile celebrity, politician, you know, religious leader, whatever, right? All these cases matter. And, you know, after covering this for years, now Epstein, the finders, you know, all these different cases, what matters most to me is the victims, right? Like, I don't want to take advantage of the victims by highlighting their disturbing accounts for clicks, right? Like this is about trying to give them a voice. That's what really matters most. So this article, these investigations have been an effort to try to give the people a voice and to hopefully by shining a light on this, put some extra pressure on the Utah County sheriffs and whoever else to do the right thing. Because that's really ultimately, unfortunately, guys, I mean, until we come up with another solution to how we solve this problem, there is some level of dependence on the, you know, legal authorities that we we have. Like, I can't go arrest people. I can't, you know, you can't go make a citizen's arrest. We, we're not at that position or that time yet. We don't have the evidence on our own, right? We don't have our own alternative police forces that are doing their proper investigations. So at the moment, we do have to depend on them for that. But that doesn't mean we were powerless. We have the power to spread the word. We have the power to, you know, if you're a religious person or somebody, you know, who prays, I think that can go a long way as well. Because I believe that these these situations and these crimes are a symptom of a something much deeper and darker that, you know, is going on in humanity. And it needs to be it needs to be healed. It needs to be fixed in some way as as well as people need to be held accountable. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I take my hope by just knowing that uh, we can try to give these victims a voice, because if all I can do is write an article, do a video to try to shine light on this, that's the least I can do, because somebody if these things are true, had to live through these things. And I need to make sure that their suffering is not for, you know, in, isn't in vain. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And I think that, that that's something we try to do here at T-Lab every single day. And your work, Derek, is give a voice to the voiceless, whether it's in Palestine, whether it's in Bolivia, Yemen, Venezuela, or anywhere else in the world, where people are being disparaged and ignored while being taken by some kind of larger narrative we try to give those people a voice. And I think you're doing that here because clearly people have found an, out, an outlet to you and say, thank God somebody's talking about this, sending you all their research. So look forward to some more work coming, whether on this topic or others from Derek and T-Lab. And make sure you check out theconsciousresistance.com and his finders research because that's very important work as well. So thank you, Derek, for being here. As always, everybody out there, question everything.
come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.